listening to The Martial Brain, the podcast that explores the intersection between the martial arts, science, critical thinking, skepticism, and that wacky organ that floats inside our skulls in a pool of cerebral spinal fluid, making life unpredictably inspiring, infuriating, and sometimes just batshit crazy. I'm Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain. The Forgotten War The Philippines, the USA, War, Colonialism, and the Martial Arts Part 16 Last time, I wrapped up the story of the American campaign of military suppression and vengeance inflicted on the island of Samar towards the end of the Philippine-American War. As part of that story, I told you about U.S. Marine Corps Major Littleton Waller's tragic failed attempt to march a detachment of Marines, along with their Filipino guides and bearers, across the width of the island. The story culminated with Major Waller's orders to execute the Filipino members of the expedition without the benefit of a trial. Well, Waller, as was his practice after every operation, wrote a report to his superior officer, General Jacob Hurd Smith, he of the I-want-any-Filipino-capable-of-bearing-arms-against-the-U.S.-to-be-killed fame. In his report, Waller wrote, quote, It became necessary to expend 11 prisoners, 10 who were implicated in the attack on Lieutenant Williams, and one who plotted against me, unquote. General Smith read the report and sent a copy to his immediate commanding officer, Adna Romanza Chaffee, the military governor of the Philippines. General Chaffee decided to investigate the execution of the Filipino guides and bearers. Now, I hold Waller's actions in Samar as reprehensible, as egregious abuses of his constitutional privileges as a military commander. But they were not unlike the actions of lots of small and medium unit commanders during this unhappy little war. And that is without mentioning that General Smith and another general we'll look at in a future episode both ordered much larger executions than Waller's 11 prisoners. So yes, deservedly, but unexpectedly, Waller was now the subject of the scrutiny of General Adna Chaffee's gaze. Now, Chaffee and Waller had served together in the Boxer Rebellion in China. Sometime in the future, I plan to do another series on the Boxer Rebellion for you. So without knowing what future research will reveal, I still wonder if there was some sort of previous animosity in their mutual history. The long-standing rivalry between the Army and the Marines could have something to do with it. It's also possible that Chaffee selected Waller as a scapegoat, to pay for the sins of his higher-ups. In any case, Major Waller was put on trial in a court-martial in the Philippines for the crime of murder. His lawyers tried to get him off with the defense that an army court had no jurisdiction over a Marine. The judge nixed that defense, so Major Waller's attorneys went for the big gun in their arsenal. They put Waller on the witness stand and asked him if he was following orders when he had the 11 Filipinos killed. 
He answered in the affirmative and repeated General Smith's famous instructions to kill everyone on the island of Samar over the age of 10. Now this tidbit was of special interest to the reporters in the courtroom, and it appeared the next day in the American papers. Banner headlines screaming, Kill Everyone Over 10, appeared from San Francisco to New York. Major Waller was acquitted. General Smith was then subjected to a court-martial and charged with, quote, conduct to the prejudice of good order and military discipline, unquote. He was convicted and, wait for it, admonished. Now, it's important to note that the American public was fairly evenly divided politically in those days in a way not dissimilar to the divide that exists today in the year 2021. Half the country thought that General Smith should be lionized as a hero for showing those little brown barbarians what happened when you ambushed good American boys. The other half thought he was a monster and should be in prison. President Roosevelt could read the newspapers and the tea leaves and decided that admonishment was not sufficient for General Smith. He did something that truly satisfied neither side. He forced General Smith out of the Army two years before he would have retired. Meanwhile, the people of Samar mourned their losses and their much degraded quality of life. Now, I mentioned to you in the last episode that I take the behavior of the Americans in the Samar campaign personally. Let me tell you why. As if General Smith's commanded atrocities, commanded a short 119 years ago by a general officer in the U.S. Army, wasn't already enough to piss me off and embarrass me for my country. I learned a few years ago the detail that makes this story absolutely personal. One fine April day at Bob Evans' restaurant in my beautiful hometown of Evansville, Indiana, I was having a wonderful time eating breakfast with my martial arts mentor, father figure, and role model, Dan Inosanto, and with his personal assistant, Primary Uke, and my friend, Joel Clark. Now, FaceTime like this with Mr. Inosanto and Joel is always a pleasant experience. Not only can conversation dig deep into technical information on concepts and training methods from a vast array of martial arts, it also stretches to sports history, personal stories about any of the amazing people he knows and has known, and to ordinary and pleasant idle joking and banter. It's always pleasant because Mr. Inosanto, in addition to being a national treasure of knowledge, personifies the best interpretation of the word gentleman. I feel more relaxed in his presence than in the presence of any other person I have met that one might call a martial arts master. In any case, we were sharing a pleasant breakfast when I brought up the subject of the Samar campaign during the Philippine-American War. Now, I knew the name of this island, not because of the campaign, but because I remembered that Mr. Inosanto had sometimes mentioned when teaching seminars that his late father, Sebastian Inosanto, had been a Western fencer as well as a practitioner of the Filipino martial arts, and that he had been the saber champion of Samar. Now, I had been doing my research into the history of the period I'm describing to you now, 
and I asked Mr. Inosanto if he knew the story of General Smith and his disgusting orders regarding the island of Samar. Mr. Inosanto's face took on a solemn cast, and he quietly declared, quote, My father was nine years old. Unquote. Now let me be clear. Not all children over 10 on Samar were actually killed. There were a lot of people in the U.S. military who simply ignored that particular part of the order, but still actively participated in the prosecution of a campaign that turned tens of thousands of Filipinos into refugees, homeless, and nearly starved. A smaller fraction of the Americans did indeed kill a certain number of children between the ages of approximately 10 and 18, as well as a lot of men and women. The historical sources vary wildly on the exact total number of human lives snuffed out. From the claim of 2,500 by American historians to a figure of 50,000 claimed by some Filipino historians. But even if the number were only 2,500, that's comparable to the number of Americans who died on 9-11. And now, Mr. Inosanto had just told me that his father had been right on the cusp of the permitted, nay, the commanded age for execution. At that moment, shit got real, and real personal. General Smith was not only an asshole, he came very close with his order to causing events to travel in a very different direction than the one in which they did. Just imagine if Sebastian Inosanto had been one of those killed in the Samar campaign. My martial arts journey, and for that matter, my life journey, would have been radically different. The intimate connection between the martial arts in the United States and in the Philippines would have been radically altered. Bruce Lee may have never founded a third nexus after Seattle and Oakland for his martial arts instruction in Los Angeles. In a very real way, General Smith had reached out from the past and slapped me across the face. At a distant point on the space-time continuum, he was threatening the life of a man who was, in a way, like a grandfather I had never met. Now, I'm a pretty laid-back dude, but if you fuck with my ten-year-old grandpa, I take it very personally. My revenge is to tell this story for Mr. Inosanto and his Marshall family. Now, I'm sure many of you have been wondering as I told this story, where the hell are the good Americans? And do they have a voice? They did. And at this point in the story, their voices are growing louder. And I'll tell you about it next time. Now for a wee bit of a commercial. As a sideline, I make and sell sturdy, inexpensive training weapons crafted from robust Southeast Asian rattan in nine different lengths, ranging from six inches to seven feet. They are useful for training in the methods of many different martial arts from all over the world, and they really hold up to a pounding. These and other bits of Rising Phoenix swag are available for purchase, and old episodes of the Martial Brain podcast can be heard for free at my website, rpmartialarts.com.
Anyway, that's what I think. But I could be wrong. Let me know what you think. I'm Jeff Westfall for The Marshall Brain. The Marshall Brain is produced by Raging Squirrel Productions in association with the Rising Phoenix Martial Arts Academy. If you like the podcast and would like to help it grow, go to iTunes or Stitcher and give it an honest rating and review. Contact me with questions about the Marshall Brain or about the Rising Phoenix Academy at my website, rpmartialarts.com. <laughs>